along to the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Nell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. I'm delighted to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business, Brain for Life, Professor Linus Dalander. Linus is a professor at the European School of Management and Technology, ESMT Berlin, Director of Research and the holder of the Lufthansa Group Chair in Innovation. He received his PhD from Chalmers University of Technology and undertook postdoctoral studies at Stanford University. Previously, he was an assistant professor and an advanced Institute of Management Research Fellow with the Innovation and Entrepreneurship Group at Imperial College Business School. Linus teaches in the areas of innovation, entrepreneurship and networks, and is also a consultant and advisor to startups, large multinationals, as well as government organizations on issues around innovation and networks. In 2017, Linus was recognized as one of the best 40 under 40 professors by poets and quants. In his ongoing research, Linus investigates how new ideas and innovations are developed in networks and communities. The ongoing projects use large-scale analysis of networks, which he integrates with a deeper appreciation for what content flows through networks. Linus seeks to study novel questions which can advance the academic literature and which at the same time focus on issues that can affect how managers think about their business to help them make better decisions. Linus, it is great to speak to you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're delighted you could join us. In a recent paper, published in the journal Organization Science. You and colleagues explored the way that entrepreneurial teams are organized and the way that, that they're structured. As a starting point, why is it important to understand how these entrepreneurial teams are organized? I think this is really like the multi-million dollar question for both entrepreneurs and companies who seek <laughs> to become more entrepreneurial. And I think that's really something that many people fundamentally care about today. And if you talk to companies and entrepreneurs, I think many people appreciate that it's not only about having a great idea and many venture capitalists and business angels and the like say that it's also extremely important to have a great team. Uh, and I think when we think about how teams are formed and what we know from research is that those teams are not always formed in the best way to actually achieve really good outcomes for the entrepreneurial teams and their startups. And the decision for how to organize plays a huge role. And I think we really have to be honest here that the failure rate among entrepreneurial teams is huge, right? Like most entrepreneurial teams are going to fail. And if there's something that we can do to move, in the, move the needle in the right direction of becoming more successful, then I think we ought to think about how they can organize differently. Well, how then... If we think about the real world, are these entrepreneurial teams typically organized? So the way I think about this is that there are, first of all, entrepreneurs, like the ones that we typically think about that are out there in the world that work on a new idea and take them to the business. But I think also many corporates and larger organizations are toying around with how to become more entrepreneurial. And I think it's kind of important to separate the two when we think about this as well. And I think for uh, startups, uh, it's usually like a few founders or one founder who goes about trying to find someone else that they can start the company with. 
uh, usually evolving very much from the prior experiences and from the experience of talking to other people and advancing the idea. And I think for corporates, uh, oftentimes when they seek to become more entrepreneurial and they work on a new idea, people usually have much less choice, right? That there is a manager on top of the organization telling me and my colleagues to work on this particular project, trying to advance them so that it can compete with other kinds of organizations, other kinds of companies, or even startups. So I think for startups, when you think about greenfield entrepreneurship, many of them have like almost complete autonomy. They can go about picking their collaborators, choosing with whom to work, choosing what idea to work with. And I think inside larger companies usually have much less autonomy in choosing who you're going to work with and what kinds of ideas that you will work with. I think it's somewhat stylistic and many organizations have toyed around with organizing differently, providing more autonomy to the employees with whom to work with. But I think that's sort of a fair assumption to say that startups usually have almost complete autonomy for how to go about and forming the teams. In that regard then, how do the entrepreneurial teams differ from from other teams? Now, as you said, for entrepreneurial organizations, for startups, there, there may be that degree of choice, but you also mentioned that, that element of failure. But if we think also, though, about more established organizations or companies, corporations, how do they differ? What, what is it that makes entrepreneurial teams different? So one thing, uh, obviously, like the one thing that you said about self-selection and the ability to choose that I mentioned previously, I think is obviously a lot greater for entrepreneurial teams and other kinds of teams inside organizations. I think they also differ with respect to um, the duration of the project, the duration of previously working together in the past. Uh, usually when you work inside like a large organization and a team, you come with a legacy, you known people from before. When you work in an entrepreneurial team, you have like, uh, you prevent some of the shackles that organizations sometimes impose on their employees in the sense that it's not only that you can choose with whom to collaborate, you can choose very widely. You can choose outside your organization, you can choose people um, that work in a different company, you can come together over a beer or over a run or something like this, deciding like we have something in common, we want to execute on the idea. So obviously, it's not only like the self selection in itself, it's also the fact that they can cast a much wider net and the potential number of collaborators. And is that, and I'm thinking particularly here of established organizations, and innovation in particular, is that why organizations might hive off these sort of semi-entrepreneurial teams into things like skunk works and other slightly detached um, structures so that they can they can kind of try and emulate some of those startup uh, forms and formulations? Right. So, I mean, now in my hometown, Berlin, uh, I think many companies are toying around with not only skunk works, but different kinds of accelerators. I think most large companies have an accelerator in Berlin where they try to mimic some of that kind of approach, providing more autonomy for the people that work there so that they can choose and operate under fewer shackles of the organization, trying to come up with more entrepreneurial kinds of ideas. Uh, that being said, I don't think they always do this in the best fashion, that sometimes when organizations actually do this, they really try to 
give this unit complete autonomy. They become extremely separate from the rest of the company. It leads to other kinds of challenges when it comes to how do we integrate the ideas or the people that work in a separate unit actually being considered for their achievements. Do they have uh, the standing inside the larger company to actually integrate the ideas? So those kinds of integration challenges often, often um, comes up after you have a very separate unit where people are working on these entrepreneurial ideas. They generate lots of super important things potentially, but when it actually comes to bringing those into the product and services of the larger company, oftentimes that leads to different kinds of challenges. And is that also where we see some of the perhaps more recent trends like self-organizing teams and holacracy? Is that where that can also come into play? Right. So, I mean, many large organizations have toyed around with this with not only when it comes to uh, like new kinds of ideas, but for how to organize production, uh, how to organize larger companies, things about like everything from producing music, uh, orchestra without a conductor, having uh, producing like tomato sauce, uh, producing software, producing cars and the like, where companies have tried to really impose that in a larger setting, in a larger established organization. I think the one lesson from this is that even if there are some fanboys and fangirls out there who think that this is a solution to the world's problem, I think the research is pretty overwhelming that these bossless organizations in a larger company lead to many different kinds of challenges. Turning then to your research, how did you and your colleagues explore the possible approaches to organizing entrepreneurial teams? Great question. Uh, so really, this boils down to this idea of maybe it's too stylistic to think about a situation where people have no choice whatsoever, like people are being told to work on one idea and to work with these different kinds of people. And on the other hand, having these people are given like the complete autonomy in a separate unit where they can run around uh, enjoying like the colorful uh, offices and beanbags or whatever, choose their collaborators and choose the idea that they're going to work with. And our approach is motivated by this, that maybe we can think about this in a different way. So what we do is that we study two organizational design choices. So the ability to choose team members versus choosing ideas. So we studied two organizational choices. You can both potentially choose the team members that you're going to work with and the ability to choose the ideas that you are going to work with. And we look at the outcome for early stage entrepreneurial outcomes. I'm going to get to that in a few seconds as well. So if you think about those two choices, choosing team members and choosing ideas, then you can think about a very, very simple two by two design. So on the one dimension you have where people have the ability to choose neither the team members or the idea that they're going to work with. So that's one like typical larger company where there's like a manager telling people what to work with and execute on this particular idea. And then you have the other extreme where people have the ability to choose both the team members and the idea that they're going to work with. So that's like this separate unit out there or greenfield entrepreneurship where people have the ability to just run around trying to find friends and other people that are potential co-founders and execute on the idea that they really care very deeply about. And what's interesting about our approach is that if you think about these two organizational choices, then there are other kinds of choices as well. So there's one where people have the ability to choose their idea, 
but they're just like grouped together with a random group of other collaborators that they are going to work with for a limited time period. And on the other dimension, then you have some people that have the ability to choose the team members, but they are being told like, look, continue to work on this idea and do the utmost over this period. So we compare people who have no choice, so they choose neither their collaborators or the idea. We have some people who only choose the team members, but not the idea. We have some people that choose the idea, but not the team members. And we have some people that choose both their team members and the idea. So when you when you did that and, and, and undertook the, this research, what were your findings? What, what was the, I guess, the, the key outcomes and, that you noticed? So you know the results on this because I know you read the paper, but it's very interesting. <laughs> so we asked some other cheating. people, what do you think had the highest approach? And obviously, like many fanboys of complete autonomy, things like, yeah, the people who choose both are going to outperform. Uh, very few people think that choosing neither is going to lead to the highest outcome. So I think that's pretty much like most people agree that this is not like a best way to organize entrepreneurship, which is kind of interesting in itself. But then you usually see like a third saying like choosing idea is going to be amazing. Choosing team is going to be the best. And a third saying choosing both is going to be interesting. And what we do is that in the experiment where we run this as a field experiment with following all the best practice that is out there. We involved 939 students in a lean startup entrepreneurship course over 11 weeks, and they work in a team of three. And essentially the result is very, very consistent that after looking at this for the outcomes that they do, measured as the pitch deck performance, people who had the ability to choose the idea vastly outperformed the other kinds of groups. So choosing ideas so a random, composed team outperform those teams that had the ability to both choose the team members and the idea. So think about this again, this is kind of interesting, right? That there's something about the randomness that leads these people to actually outperform people that had the utmost autonomy. And again, a very consistent finding is that no autonomy is also leading to the lowest performance. And what, why do you think that was? What, what sort of I guess, conclusions did you reach regarding the, the reason behind that? So the nice thing about this approach is that we asked everyone before the experiment about all the demographics. We have information about the entrepreneurial experience, the entrepreneurial intention, the confidence and so forth. Then we run the field experiment. And after that, we also do an exit survey. And then we ask people about the experience itself. So we're happy with it. Did you like the idea that you worked with? Uh, how did you collaborate as a team and so forth? And what this essentially allows us to do is to actually get into the questions that you asked. Like now all of a sudden we know what happened in the experience itself, but we also know the people that they would like to work with, who they ended up working with and how they performed afterwards. We also know if they thought that they were better than average before the class. And we also know how happy they were with the experience itself. And again, this finding of choosing idea runs again what many people think and i think also how most organizations organizations actually organize today uh, because the typical answer to traditional model of not having autonomy is to leave teams alone so that essentially that suggests that many organizations are doing them a disservice so now why does this happen 
So we find that the effect of choosing ideas or choosing teams can partly be explained by a better match of ideas with team members' interests and the prior network connections among the team members. So obviously, when you have the ability to choose the ID that you're going to work with, you can choose ideas that are more aligned with your prior experience, and that leads to higher performance afterwards. We also see this that prior network connections can also explain partly why these teams perform slightly better. Uh, then there are also like other kinds of alternative explanations that we actually can rule out. So one of the things that always came up when I presented this in the beginning was that, yeah, but what happens when you give people choice is that they don't lead to enough diversity on the team. Uh, you're going to choose people that are very much alike you, so they're going to lead to like homophily, where people flock together, have similar kinds of demographic attributes. And it is true that teams are becoming more homophilous and less diverse when you have the ability to choose, but that actually doesn't explain the performance drop. So what we think is going on and what we can actually show as well is that when people have the autonomy to choose both, self-selected teams so that people who choose both fall prey to overconfidence. And obviously confidence is great, right? Like if you have some kind of entrepreneurial confidence, that's great. But the really crazy thing about this is that when we looked at the teams that were the most happy about the team, the most happy about the experience, the most likely to continue with this, those were the people who had the ability to choose both. So they were super happy about the experience. They loved it. They would like to continue to work on it. But if you ask the investors and the people who were business angels and venture capitals to actually evaluate the idea, these teams actually underperformed. So what we think is happening here is that confidence uh, slides into overconfidence. So they become like almost too confident about the idea itself. And that results them uh, results then in that they become a bit complacent about actually exploiting the full potential of their idea. So they become super happy about the idea, they love the experience and the team, but they underperformed. You mentioned there the, the question of diversity and, and I was going to ask you on that point. You know, did you notice any differences between you know genders, between nationalities, between years of experience? But but actually, from what you're saying, not really. Is that correct? So we noticed that, uh, honestly, like this does not have enough uh, national diversity in terms of like the different nationalities being represented. So that's obviously like a big scope condition for what we do as well and the limitation of our study. But we do have enough on um, the other kinds of demographic attributes where I think the variation is interesting. Uh, and we find that like when you have the ability to choose uh, teams, people are more likely to pick people of the same gender. Uh, people are more likely, guys are more likely to pick other guys, and women are more likely to pick other women. And that's something that happens, but that in turn does not explain the performance drop. So I think we can see that, sure, that this is something that happens, but it does not explain why these particular groups actually underperform. If we step on then and, and think about, you know, what your findings sort of mean, what would you start to suggest are the, the key implications for, I guess, for a start for organizations, particularly those seeking to establish either entrepreneurial or perhaps innovative teams? 
This is a great question. Um, I think we have some answers to it. Uh, I obviously think that more research is needed as well to figure this out. But I think if there's one lesson from our research is that the core issue for organizations is to think much more deeply about the role of autonomy. And today, I think uh, we think about this as way too black or white in terms of providing no autonomy whatsoever or providing full autonomy. And if there's one thing that our research suggests is that their shades are gray um, and that they are not only interesting, but they also lead to the highest performance. Uh, and in our particular case, that shade of gray that is super important is this distinction between when you have the ability to choose the idea, so you can choose something that is aligned with the expertise that you have, but you also introduce some randomness that you get exposed to new kinds of people that can provide a different angle uh, that prevents you from sliding into the slope of overconfidence when you think the idea is amazing, but it's only the people on your team that think it's amazing. But actually you challenge each other and you have like a contrarian that sees something from a different angle. For many large organizations, the solution for larger companies in recent years have been to think about accelerators, skunk units, or skunk work, as you mentioned before, and these independent units with almost complete autonomy. Uh, and I think our results suggest that this leads to higher performance than zero autonomy. That's undoubtedly the case, but there is a risk on creating an environment where people uh, reach a higher performance, but not as high as they could potentially do. And that's what our research suggests. And I think if there's like one takeaway from this, like one little thing that people should remember is that introduce this element of randomness in collaborations inside these units, like spice up your networks. Don't let uh, your employees or your team members to choose because people are going to be lazy. People are going to be complacent. And I'm not saying this to like diminish how other people do this. I'm exactly alike. Uh, I think this is just like fundamentally human, right? That we choose people uh, that we think is like a fun experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like it, my best interest, let alone the organization's better, best interest. And is there perhaps also uh, an argument there and for, for, for organizations to, to sometimes perhaps consciously mix things up and sort of throw in a, um, a, a, a random person for a period to perhaps play that role of the contrarian you mentioned there. You're right. And I think like we always spoke about this in the past about like innovation happens at the water cooler. But the question is always like, why does innovation happen at the water cooler, right? And I think the reason for why innovation happens at the water cooler is because you have like this random introductions, like random connections with people that you don't normally speak to. Otherwise, like you have a huge tendency to go to the office, you speak to your office neighbor, you speak to your best friend, but you don't get this kind of random connection. And I think, especially now during the pandemic, right, that many people, maybe you are the exception because you have this podcast and you can reach out to people that you think are interesting. <laughs> but I think most of us, certainly myself, have a tendency to not expand our networks in these times and not finding these random kinds of connections and having managers that organize these things of introducing people, I think is extremely important in setting up of sharing experience, seeing something from a different angle. Uh, people are probably going to learn something and certainly going to make them more innovative and more entrepreneurial. It's interesting you mentioned that because on a previous uh, 
episode, we uh, spoke to some people from Microsoft Research, and that was exactly one of the things they found, that through the pandemic, people's networks have, have typically shrunk, and they're typically focusing on the communication with their closest colleagues, uh, rather than necessarily broadening out their networks and, and having those random engagements that you might have at the water cooler, as, as you put it. So it's, it's definitely a uh, something which has been found through the, the pandemic. Yeah, now think about how we teach things at business schools as well. Like one of the amazing thing about like when you use Zoom or Teams and all these things is that they break out rooms with random connections when you just randomly assign people to breakout rooms. I think for the students, that's sometimes like the best experience. Like I taught like a class where you had people from all over the world, like 75 people coming in. They get randomly exposed to some people that they haven't met before. They come from different universities. But many people find this like to be incredibly useful, right? And I think for employees, uh, this kind of dimension of like finding like a common ground with someone else, giving them like a small task to work on in this particular breakout room or whatever, right? Is incredibly important to find like a connection because there's something else to be said about like, if I get randomly exposed to someone and we have a shared experience, then I think like the rewarding things may follow. If we think as well, we're touching there already on implications for organizations, but specifically about leaders, are there things that they really should be doing on a much more regular basis to, to support or to enhance the entrepreneurial focus and innovative focus of their teams? First of all, I think good leaders these days, they run experiments and not like simple AB experiments on consumer behavior, but I really think that one of the major implications of this is that if you have a large enough organization, try to actually analyze the data that you already have on your teams and how you organize. Don't let that opportunity go wasted because I think that's like a lost opportunity. Maybe you have data on the teams that have collaborated on the past. How good are they in reaching deadlines? What are the outcomes of the, what they've done? What have you learned from your best practice? And I think one big challenge that I've seen is that many organizations are, uh, they just rely way too much on the gut feeling. And the problem with gut feeling is that 50% of the times you're right and 50% 50 of the times you're wrong. <laughs> but if you analyze the data, right, then you're probably going to be right like more like 95% of the time. And I think that's one major takeaway. Like, and I think this is the one thing that I learned from this. Uh, some of the results that we found were unexpected. Did I learn something? Certainly. Does it have implications for other organizations? Certainly. And I think organizations can actually operate in the same fashion. And for organizations that are well ahead, like think about like Amazon and other organizations who've already realized that experimenting on your own organization is important. If you don't move on that regard uh, as a leader and trying to instill like a culture of experimentation and play inside your organization, I think in the long run, it may be difficult to compete. In, in terms of that, and, and as the conversation's gone on, we sort of perhaps tended to focus a little bit more on, on the larger and, and established organizations. But returning to, to where we started, are there any implications that you could highlight for startups, for any entrepreneurs who might be listening, who are trying to kick something off and are able to select their team, select their ideas and so on? So I think for startups, like the obvious implication for startups is that 
don't run too quickly into forming collaborations with your friends. Uh, so one of the things that was interesting, sorry that I speak very like geeky stuff about like the own experiment that we run, but it actually speaks something about human behavior and how we form collaborations to get people to form the team to organize the mixer. And we traced everyone, we saw like the time that it took and like the teams that formed afterwards. Even if you give people like the opportunity, like go out and find like the best potential collaborators, most people do this within minutes, right? And what does this suggest? That probably if you are in the process of forming a startup, you're stuck with these collaborations for like five years, or you're gonna pick like the best potential collaborators in five minutes. I don't think so, right? Think about this carefully. Go about like, is this something that has, is this a person who has a different kind of expertise? Is it a person that will challenge you? Uh, can you get along on like the most important dimensions, but are you different enough to bring different things to the table? So don't form these decisions like too quickly and only based on your friendship networks. I think that's really like a fundamental thing that happens like way too often. And the problem with friendship networks, if I would form a, a start a company tomorrow, I would probably do it with some of my best friends when I grew up in Sweden, right? Like we get along so well. The problem is that we would never talk about the startup. We would do that occasionally as like a fun thing, but the other things that interest us as well, and we would probably get distracted and work on other things. Um, so think about this slightly more professional, let it take some time, find people that have different kinds of expertise. And I think actually that's where some of these more professional uh, accelerators are actually good in providing that because there you get challenged by people who say that are you actually forming a team uh, where you have complementary kinds of experience um, or potentially if you don't go through like an accelerator program where potential uh, business angels or venture capitalists can challenge you to get to the point of actually do you have a team that is good enough uh, to get this idea into your reality. Is there also perhaps a risk in that entrepreneurial startup context that you might have the same people working together time and time again? We tried this, it didn't work, but hey, I've got another great idea. Let's try this. And, and so the same little group of, of friends perhaps keep working together. And, and so that network gets smaller and the, the challenging and the, the creative abrasion, if you will, uh, starts to fade. I think if you learn from experience, I think it could be an opportunity to uh, continue to work together. Uh, I think you actually, your intuition is right, that maybe it's like a good thing to have a mix of like a few sustained collaboration, but also bringing in people with a different experience so that you have some kind of stability inside the team. Like the first idea didn't work, but you and I got along extremely well, but we missed something like the third person was actually not like the best collaborations because we didn't get along yet. He was way too similar to, to myself. So we need to bring in someone else who has a different kind of experience to spice up the collaboration and forming uh, new kinds of collaborations that would actually help you to come up with a better idea the second time. But also the other thing that you said, I think is also fundamentally interesting, right? That when we evaluate our own collaborations, I think we have a tendency to blame it on the situation and saying that it's something about our misfortune or we were not lucky enough rather than blaming it on our collaboration like maybe it's something 
about our collaboration that didn't work, but we blame it on the situation instead. And having other people coming in and like playing like the devil's advocate or having someone who's willing to question you, I think is quite important when you make these assessments about whether it's actually worth continuing to collaborate. Makes a huge amount of sense. If people wanted to find out more about your research, where could they go? So the paper is available at Organization Science as open access, so anyone out there can uh, download it. Uh, the title is Organizing Entrepreneurial Teams. Uh, there's also an excessive appendix and data available for the geeks out there who would like to replicate the findings. And we also have a managerial piece based on this article in Harvard Business Review titled When Autonomy Helps Team Performance and When It Doesn't. Okay, that is fantastic. I'll make sure to put some links in the show notes. Professor Linus Dahlander from ESMT Berlin, thank you very much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed it a lot. song electronic beat time and dream sequence by lorenzo's music is licensed under an attribution share and share alike license